You're listening to Driven by Insight. Join Willie Walker, Walker and Dunlop's chairman and CEO, as we bring you fresh perspectives about leadership, business, the economy, and commercial real estate. Willie hosts a diverse network of leaders as they share wisdom that cuts across industry lines. His guests are experts in their fields. From leading economists and CEOs to Harvard and Yale professors and everything in between. Our one goal is simple, providing you with unique insights, unparalleled data, and real-time market analyses. Welcome to another episode of the Walker Webcast. It's a real joy for me to have Toll Brothers Chairman and CEO, Doug Yearly, joining me today. Uh, I'm very thankful to our mutual friend, Ivy Zellman, for putting the two of us in touch. And Doug, you had earnings this morning. I know it's a super busy time, so I'm extremely appreciative of you taking time to join me, talk about your business. Um, I'm not going to, as you can imagine, I'm not going to focus too much on earnings. You get plenty of those questions from analysts and investors. I want to talk about how you have led your company so successfully and some of the, um, if you will, leadership uh, qualities that you uh, have instilled uh, in Toll Brothers uh, throughout your lengthy career at the company. Let me back up first, Doug, and just do a quick uh, intro and bio, and then uh, we'll dive into my first question. Uh, Toll Brothers was founded in 1967. It went public, interestingly, in 1986. That was when I saw that, Doug. I was like, "Wow, Bob took the company public early." Um, and I would, I would imagine that uh, it was due to just a need for capital. But I mean, going public in 1986 was uh, that was heydays. Um, Doug joined the company in 1990, became CEO in 2012, and chairman in 2018. Uh, he's led Toll Brothers through expansive growth, and Toll Brothers stock price has moved from $29 a share when Doug took over as CEO to $109 as of today, a 275% increase. Doug went to Cornell and got his law degree from Rutgers. Um, so Doug, let me let me back up a little bit. Your, your favorite course in middle school was woodworking. Um, and you were... Uh, you weren't liking your job as a litigator and doing a lot of work on your hundred-year-old home outside of Philadelphia um, when you saw a help wanted ad to be the personal assistant to the CEO of a home builder. Um, is it fair to say that that home building is in your blood? Oh uh, yeah, that that's funny. You found that woodworking clip. Um, yeah, you know, my dad was handy. Uh, I used to hang out in the basement at his wood shop with him and do whatever he was doing. Um, I I was handy. We, we had this old house in Haddonfield, New Jersey, a suburb of Philly, when I was a young lawyer, hating being a litigator. I hated billing time. I hated being in the fight. You know, litigators, whether you're on the right side or the wrong side, your your job is to represent your client to the best you can, and and it's always a fight. And um, I was a super fun lawyer doing these huge environmental cases that never went away. I worked on the same case for five years. Um, and I spent all my free time renovating an old house. And I thought about, at the age of 30, turning it all in and just buying old homes and putting my own sweat equity hard work into them, flipping them. And that would have been a disaster, of course. Because you would have had to compete against Toll Brothers. <laughs> well, that is. I don't, I don't think Bob ever wanted to do that. But um, so I guess, um, you know, I, I, I guess it was in my blood without really knowing it. I just, um, I wanted to do something that felt more productive 
um, where you, you know, at the end of the day, when you paint a room or you wallpaper a room or you sand a floor, at the when you go to bed at night, you know, you you take a look back at what you did and you feel pretty darn good about it. You know, you you accomplish something, and that that part was definitely in my blood. Um, I remember. I didn't know Toll Brothers because I wasn't from Philly. I, I was I was raised in North Jersey. I was just down in Philly for four years working as a lawyer, and um, so I didn't really know Toll. I it was an ad in the paper for the, an executive assistant to the CEO of a publicly traded Philadelphia-based home builder. Most people would know that's Toll Brothers. I didn't even know who Toll was. I threw a resume together. So what the heck? This may be a secretarial job. I don't know. I met Bob Toll on my 30th birthday, and I just got lucky. Um, he went to Cornell. I went to Cornell. He loved that. The old color of Toll Brothers, our, our, our logo branded color, was the exact Cornell red. He yeah. actually our CMO call up to Ithaca and get the PMS you know color wheel exact number for Cornell's red color, and that became Toll Brothers when they were founded. So he loved that I went to Cornell. He went to law school, rewired his brain, and um, he hated the practice. He lasted nine months. Law school, I loved law school, rewired my brain. I lasted four and a half years. And I just got lucky. He said, what are you making? As a fourth year associate, I said, I'm making $71,000. He said, I'll give you $71,000. Uh, how many weeks vacation? So Bob, I need three. I get three. He goes, I'll give you two. So can I have three? And he looked at me and said, my boy, you're going to be having so much fun. You will not find a time to take two. I promise you. And he and is that, has that been the, has it basically been the case for the last 30 years? Well, no, I mean, I, I mean, I got having a lot of fun, but I, I certainly take my vacation and we don't, and we start employees today with three weeks. Um, but he reaches so, across the table. I shook it. I went home, I told my wife I was leaving the practice of law and and I didn't come here as a lawyer. I just came here to follow him around. I was in a construction trailer. I ran around buying land. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, you know, luck got me into the company. And then I just, uh, Bob Toll's an amazing guy. He passed away last year at 82. And he taught me the business inside and out at, at every level. It's been, it's been a, a lot of fun. Talk about Monday nights with Bob. So, yeah, Bob was very proud of Monday. It was, it was um, Toll University. Um, all the employees stayed in, um, pizza was brought in, um, and, um, you know, the phone stopped ringing and we just worked through the night on land deals, on strategy, on sales. Our business is weekend driven. We sell most of our homes over the weekend. So Monday was a day to digest results, to make decisions, um, and just kind of run the company. Not knowing this company, my first Monday I met with Bob at 11 at night. I walked out of his office at midnight. I went down the wrong hallway where the CFO was located, who invited me in to give me a short education on the company. My first day of work at Toll, I walked out at 2.30 in the morning thinking I had made the biggest mistake possible. And um, it was part of the fun culture. We, I mean, yeah, with Sunday night where you kind of bummed out knowing what was coming, and Tuesday morning where you're a little bit tired, no, you know, with what had just happened, sure. But I spent over 900 Monday nights with Bob Toll in my 30 years until he passed. And I remember at one point, like 10 years in, 
asking if I could move up in the night because I was the last guy every Monday at 11 o'clock. And these other people were done at seven, done at eight, done at nine. And I had some seniority at that point. I said, Bob, could I move up a little bit? And his, his comment to me, which I took as a great compliment, was, my boy, you and I will turn the lights out every single Monday night until the end of time. And it was fun. You know, we just, we wrapped the night up together. Um, so yeah, over 900 Monday nights with an amazing guy, taught me the business, built this culture that I have tried hard to continue. Um, you know, we're, we're hard driving. We're competitive. There's a lot of smart people in this firm. And that's who, that's what Bob hired. We wore suits to work every day. Bet we dressed for battle. Bob would say, we're dressing for battle. Once every four months, he'd come in on a Friday and we'd be casual. And he'd walk around saying, what happened? What's going on? Where are the suits? <laughs> and that's how he approached it. So there's no it's more suits. It's very, pretty rare we have suits around here anymore, but we, we're definitely, you know, we're in battle every day. So when you first joined, you focused on land acquisitions. Is there one land deal it was either a deal that Bob loved or hated that sticks out in your mind that taught you something about what to do as it relates to land acquisitions. Yeah. So his, one of his favorite lines was, you know, some of the best deals you ever do are those you don't do. Uh, right. Got to stay disciplined and, um, you know, you got to know when to walk away, even though, even if the next guy overpaid, but the market bailed them out and they still made, made a lot of money. You had, you couldn't look back on it as making a mistake. The, um, you know, the, the, the two biggest deals that stand out to me that we were actually aligned on is when we made the decision to move into urban and build high rise in New York City, which was a bold move for a suburban home builder. And right. the other public national home builders weren't doing it. It's a different business. It involves commercial construction. Um, you know, you got to build an entire building before the first one delivers. So there's an incredible amount of upfront costs that you don't get back until you know, the building is completed. The light, you know, a half acre of land in New York City could be $100 million. And in 2004, we went into high rise in a big way in New York City. We have now built 40 towers between Manhattan, Brooklyn, Hoboken, and Jersey City. He and I did that together. Um, I was senior enough in the company that um, we were working very close on strategy with expansion. Uh, and that you know, we were both scared because it was such a different business line. Bob knew New York really well. He had an apartment up there. His wife was from New York. So there was some confidence there, but that was the that was a big one. And then the biggest deal we ever did was $1.6 billion to buy Chappelle Homes out of California, which was a very large private home builder we bought in 2013. It gave us 5,500 of the best lots in coastal California transformed this company. Um, so we were certainly aligned on that. But over the years, sure, there's been deals we disagreed on. And you know what was great about him? And I try to keep it going now. You know, the, the, we put it to a vote of the senior team. And I am I was overruled yesterday on a deal that, you know, I, I didn't want to do. But there's four people in the room that all felt passionate about it. They had good reasons to feel passionate about it. And I said, okay, I, ho I hope I don't I don't hope I don't have a I, I told you so moment. 
Walker and Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate and advisory firms in the country. You start the communities. Our ideas and capital make them possible. And tune in to the Walker webcast hosted by CEO Willie Walker for exclusive insights on commercial real estate. For a moment, let's back up to the GFC because I think there's a lot that you've done with the company to make the company what it is today with reflecting back on going through the GFC. And I, and I pulled a the opening of an article out of Forbes from 2011, uh, Doug, that um, it starts out, put yourself in Doug Yearly's shoes in November 2009. You've just been named EVP on the way to becoming CEO of luxury home builder Toll Brothers, a company that lost $750 million in the year that just ended due to accounting write-downs. You're entering the fifth year of a recession in the housing market. Your core revenues were down 44% versus the prior year and 75% versus the peak a few years ago. If there was ever an organization that required significant change, this was it. Right? Wrong. Go back Go back to that moment and when that was written and what you'd come through in the GFC and the very clear leadership that you showed as it relates to focusing on what Toll Brothers was known for what it was going to stand for going forward and how you were going to move through those challenging times. Yeah. Uh, great points. It was crazy times. Uh, I became CEO in, in 2010. Bob was 70, maybe 71. Um, he had told me later that he was ready to give it to me in 2008, but he would never do that to me because of how bad the market was in eight. And by the summer of 10, we were beginning to see some green shoots. We had already taken our two and a half billion dollars of impairments, you know, which was all, all the big builders, um, you know, had written down their balance sheets, the, the land on their balance sheets pretty dramatically. Um, you know, we were beginning to see some signs that things were, were um, improving. Bob wasn't going anywhere. He became executive chairman, which, you know, meant he still had a management role. He was still in the, the Monday meetings. He was still reading every land package. Um, so it, 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 it actually felt like the right time. And I had confidence because of what I had been through, how we saw things beginning to improve. And I knew that Bob and the other senior leaders, by the way, um, our, our president, our CFO, were still at my side. So it 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 doesn't it wasn't as bad as it sounds, and actually, you know, it was only three years later, 2013, that we stroked a 1.6 billion dollar check for Chappelle. So you know, we were still in action. We had a lot of cash. Yeah, you had like a billion three of cash on the balance sheet when in 2010, right? Yeah, because you know, when when builders stop buying land and stop putting roads in, they become cash machines from the delivery of all the homes that they have on the old land that they'd already paid for and the old roads that they'd already put in. So actually through down cycles, we generate a lot of cash and we've always been opportunistic and taken advantage of land buying at the bottom, whether it be through banks or whether it be through distressed landowners. You know, that, that that's just something that we've been good at where we build up the land bank at, at the, in the softer times, anticipating or seeing some, you know, again, green shoots of things improving. So I think, you know, Bob, it just got to the point, that, again, Bob was 70. He was ready to move into this next role. He believed that I was ready. 
he knew this. He, he not only believed you were ready. Let me, let me jump, jump in here. He not only believed you were ready, but in, in an interview that I saw on Bloomberg, he said you could do the job better than he could. And I watched that and I thought, first of all, what an incredible statement by a stepping down CEO. But the other thing was, as I've heard you say numerous times, Bob was always the smartest guy in the room. Bob was a legendary figure in the home building world. And so when you've heard that, did it excite you or intimidate the you know what out of you? It excited me. And, and it's because of my relationship with Bob. We, we were so close. I'd learned so much. He had always shown so much confidence in me. I knew he wasn't going to turn on me. I, I knew, you know, a lot of people have complimented the company. And I've had CEOs even in home building who have, you know, were ready to step into an executive chair role that came to see me because they want to learn about what we did to make the transition so smooth because it's hard to follow an iconic founder with a big personality and, and you know, a, a pretty unique way of operating, um, which is what I had to do. And Bob made it happen. You know, he stepped back. I, I, I ran the conference calls. I did the media. He, he trusted me on decisions about strategic moves, land buying, new markets we wanted to enter builders we were acquiring. I mean, I I changed the Cornell red to blue. Uh, 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 <laughs> so there was like, uh, uh, that sounds silly, that's but- That's close to heretical. That's unbelievable. <laughs> um, so you said you did the branding. I, I know he gave you marketing, when the brand and how important marketing is to you now as chairman and CEO. Yeah, I, I felt very lucky at 35 years old that he turned over the CMO to me we have 150 people in our marketing group. We do everything in-house, our website design, our brochure design, our, our community sales centers, everything is inside. Um, our, our brand is so important to us. It's cultural within the company. We talk about it all the time. And, um, you know, Bob used to say, you know, we're a marketing company that just happens to build houses. And my first week on the job with him at 30 years old in 1990, he took me out to the Philadelphia suburbs to show me communities. And this is Bob Toll. And I watched him screech on the brakes, entering our communities to get out of the car to pull a weed out of the entrance feature, screech on the brakes to pick up a trash bag in the street, straighten the easel signs, directional signs as you enter the model, fluff pillows in the family room of the model decorated home. And he taught us all these little things individually don't make a difference. When you put them all together, that's brand. And that's the attention to detail that matters. And um, I, I'm i a marketing guy first. You know, I didn't grow up as a builder. I was a lawyer. I mean, he sent me out and told me how to be a builder. I, I spent a few years in a construction trailer. But you know, there's many, many people in this company that can run circles around, around me when it comes to pure construction. But when it comes to marketing, branding, image, architecture. Um, I work hard at it. I, I think I'm good at, at it. I think the company respects my opinions. And I've been lucky in that I've been doing it now for 30 years. And I said, when I took the job in 2010 as CEO, I will never give marketing up. Um, our incredibly talented CMO, Wendy Marlette, will always report to me. I just, it's so important. It distinguishes us in an industry you know, that frankly doesn't have a lot of brands. We build, our average house is $1 million. We build 10,000 of these houses nationwide. 
you know, we better be a brand at that price point. We better do things differently. And uh, I'm really proud of it. We, w the whole company has bought in. One of the reasons people love working here, I think, is because they're really proud of Toll Brothers Homes. They're really proud of working for the company that builds these beautiful communities. So it's, um, it's front and center for me all the time. You talked about architecture there, Doug. Um, a, a huge number of your homes are customized. How can you build 10,000 homes and yet allow the buyer to have so much customization of the home? Yeah, it's part of this, this special sauce. So you can't walk in with an architect and, and, uh, and let them start changing our home. But what we do offer on the build-to-order side of the business, as opposed to the spec side of the business, and most of our business is still build-to-order, is any given floor plan may have 20 or 30 or 40 structural changes to that house. Adding rooms, moving walls, finishing a basement, um, putting, you know, Western window, glass nano walls to the back of the home, whatever it may be. Um, and then after you pick those structural changes, you go to our 30, one of our 35 design studios that are located in all of our markets around the country, and you pick all of your finishes. The flooring, the countertops, the kitchen cabinets, the the um, stair rail, uh, on and on and on. Our average buyer spends about $150,000 in upgrades per house to design their home to their personal taste and their lifestyle. But it is, and it's a curated collection that we are trying to streamline more and more. But while we're offering a custom experience to the client, it is a production home builder mentality. Everything is pre-bought. Everything is on SKUs. Um, we, we will not let custom changes. If you have to go outside of what we offer between the structural changes and the design studio changes, we're not your builder. And we are not afraid to cut it off. So choice is a big part of Toll Brothers. It's what we're known for. And it is what I'll call semi-custom but it is managed very tightly. The margins we make on the upgrades is accretive to the company's margins, so it's an important part of our business. As we build more and more spec with the tight resale market, opening up the opportunity to build more spec because there's nothing available on the resale market, so we need some more available inventory. If you buy that house by drywall, you can still go to the design center and pick your finishes. And many of our specs, we sell early enough that the choice advantage of Toll Brothers still applies at least to the finishes. It can't apply to the structural changes. But, you know, and the, I get it. The other big builders don't want any part of our business because it's tedious. It extends cycle time. Um, mistakes can be made. But we've been doing it for 55 years. We're really good at it. It drives margin. We control the client. And it's um, one of our special sauces that, you know, I mean, you never perfect anything, but we're really good at it. So there, there are like 15 directions I want to go in in response to that, your response to that question, just because there's so many interesting pieces to your business model and what you do. As I hear you talk about the customization on your website, Kohler is identified as one of your preferred partners. Um, there's also the, the, you talk about efficiency in um, HVAC, 
um, control systems, control four is one of your partners as it relates to um, the controls that run the media and the shades and everything else in the house. Um, sounds like you've taken a strategy to partner rather than vertically integrate into those home furnishings and home controls. Um, have you have you have you looked at vertically integrating, or do you just like to partner with best in class providers? We've looked. Um, we don't think it's efficient. Um, you know, Kohler. You can, you can put a Kohler faucet in any house in the country, probably any house in the world, and we build in you know twenty four states and don't have that sort of um, you know bandwidth. It just wouldn't make sense for us. Uh, we'd much rather align ourselves with great brands. And Kohler's your perfect example. Every single Toll Brothers home for the last twenty five years has been loaded with Kohler. They are an amazing company. Um, you know, I, I, they speak highly of us and we speak highly of them. It is two great brands that have aligned. We are their national home building partner as we should be at our price point with our brand. We should be using Kohler and we are, and it's, it's, I, we, I could never vertically integrate have, have any product that could ever come close to that Kohler brand with how hard they've worked at it and as deserving as they are. Um, so we'll give them the profit and we'll we'll co-brand with them and we'll avoid, you know, all, all the issues that come with trying to vertically integrate. And that's just one example. But we haven't, you know, yeah, we haven't. And, and the, for the industry, for, you know, pretty for the most part, hasn't migrated into any sort of vertical integration. Um, it's tough. It's really tough. And there's great companies out there that are good partners with all of us that are reliable, that have good product, our customers um, know that product. They connect to that product. Um, you know, you you go to our design studios and there's a whole Kohler display. Right. They have come in and they've custom designed just for us. And I don't think we could ever get the value if we did it ourselves. Right. So you talked about supply constraints, and um, one of the interesting I, I saw an interview you did back in 2016, Doug, where you were just talking about the fact that 20 percent of your home buyers were buying all cash. And I believe last year that number moved up to 26%, which is you know counterintuitive for a, for a million dollar home that 26% of the sales were all cash. Um, but you also in highlighting that pointed out that there's just such supply constraints because so many existing homeowners um, are holding onto their homes right now because they've got these low mortgages on them. And therefore, in the past, it's been 90% resale and 10% new. And right now we're at a 70% resale and 30% new market, which just plays into the strength of both Toll Brothers and other home builders in today's market. Um, as you look at that sort of split right now, um, more on the custom or more on the spec in the sense that we're so supply constrained on single family housing that pretty much anything you're building right now is being is being bought. Yeah, it's it's a very Willie. It's a very unique time. Who would have thought the builders would have had the success they've had over the last two years with seven to eight percent mortgage rates? Yeah, and it's being driven by a historically tight resale market because of the lock-in effect of those that own a home are sitting on a three and a half percent rate that can't be transferred, and they don't want to give it up. Do you think that's one of the big drivers of the health of the economy in the sense that? We all talk about people going to Walmart and Home Depot and spending money and that the U.S. consumer has been driving this great GDP growth. 
And I'm just curious, do you think that a lot of that has to do with so many people having a locked in fixed rate mortgage and therefore they have disposable income that you wouldn't have in other times? I hadn't thought of it that way. I mean, remember 35% of the country rents, but um, you're like, yes, I guess, I guess there's some truth to that. Um, but I, I, I don't know if that's the driver of it. Um, it, it may be, it may be helping a bit, Yep. but the, um, so, and the other thing to point out is the, the average age of a resale home of an existing home in this country is now 45 years. Right. And they're, I was talking to some of the, you know, the younger, the, the millennials that I, I work with here in the office who have been looking for a home with their new families that they formed in their thirties. And they described to me how bad the quality is of the few homes that are on the market and they're just taking a pause. So even as rates come down and the resale market opens up, the quality of a lot of those resales are pretty tired and they're getting older and older. And so more and more people are moving towards new, e even beyond this lock-in effect. Uh, and I think we're going to benefit that you know, for a longer period of time. But there's no question that we're all doing well because there's no resales. And you're right. To go from 10% of all household has a sold in this country being new to 30%, it's incredible. It, it, it's just incredible. And so the answer to your question was, is there more of a move towards build to order or spec? We used to be less than 10% of our homes were spec. We're now 45%. And they're selling. And and yes, we are filling a hole left by the tight resale market. But we think longer term, um, we will continue to spec in that range for a number of reasons. The resale market homes are older. The new home, there's more of a desire to own new because of how these homes are being built and the design of these new homes. Um, we, we, we have you know, an opportunity to, to build houses faster, but still let people go to design studios and customize those homes. We'll come down in price around the country, which was intentional. You know, we didn't want to wait for the millennials to become move up buyers, which is our traditional business, but grab those millennials in their mid thirties when they could still afford a toll home. And so when you come down in price a bit, you always seem to spec more because those buyers want to get in a bit faster. So the tight resale market changed our business to build more spec but now that it's here and we're doing well we think it's going to stay yeah i was i was looking uh, both in 2020 your average home price was actually down closer to eight hundred thousand dollars, i think doug and then now it's back up at a million but then you're projecting that it comes back down into the 900 so the, 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 I, I actually heard you in an interview talking about the not luxury but the affordable luxury market the, there was are, are you are you, right now, given the economics behind the business and your gross margins and how well you're doing in that luxury space, is there an, is, is the strategy to stay at that high end or to come down and migrate down to that affordable luxury a little bit more? So we're going to continue to stay at the high end. We're going to continue to do the active adult at the middle price, but we're also going to do more and more of what I call the affordable luxury. So my analogy is, Toll grew up building the five and seven BMW. We now build a lot of threes. Yeah. Do we do we drop to the Mini Cooper? I don't know yet. Um, you know, Lenar Horton and the other guys are really good down there at that price range. But 
There are 75 million millennials that are now settling down, buying their first house at 35 years old. I had my first house at 26. They're wealthier at 35. And mom and dad, by the way, we're having an incredible generational wealth transfer going on right. with mom and dad that want to help their 35-year-olds out and not just have to wait, have them wait for an inheritance, but actually you know, help them with a the down payment. There's a lot of 35-year-old couples making $200,000 between them that can afford a 650 Toll Brothers home. And we're going after that crowd. And now 40% of our business is that more affluent first-time home buyer. And so I think you have 70,000 lots right now in inventory. Um, of those 70,000, um, 50,000 are for luxury and the other 20 are... Do you look out at that and sort of sit there and say, okay, that's the price point we're coming to. To your point about fives and seven series BMWs and then the three series, how much of that 70,000 lots is three series versus seven series? Yeah, I'd say 40% three series, 35% five and seven series, and then what's left? 25% um, baby boomer, active adult, empty nester, move down, which can still be a five series, of course, but it's a... It's a different market profile. Yeah, super interesting. Um, talk for a moment about the company. Uh, you, you, you talked a little bit about community. Your, your your tagline is Toll Brothers does more than just build homes. We build communities. You've been rewarded and awarded numerous times as being a really great place to work, best home builder in the world by Forbes Magazine eight years in a row. But I thought one of the more interesting ones you got was, I think you were the sixth ranked best product in the world by Forbes behind like Amazon, Apple, Nordstrom, and a couple other companies as far as just best product. And it's one thing to be the best home builder, and that's great. And I know you and your team take great pride in that. But to be like number six on the worldwide list of best products, it really says something unbelievable about the quality of the, I mean, you're ahead of BMW, going back to your example. I mean, you know, BMW is an incredible brand and incredible product, and Toll Brothers is ahead of them in that ranking. So it's on my wall. I'm, I'm looking at it right here. You know, we, we win Fortune Magazine, Most Admired Home Builder. We, we're, we've been on that list 10 years in a row. Um, we've been number one on that list. I think it's eight of those 10 years. But about five or six years ago, out of nowhere, after being named number one home builder, they did a roll-up of all companies worldwide. And I'm looking at it. The world's most admired companies for quality of products or services offered Number one, Apple. Number two, Walt Disney. Number three, Amazon. Number four, Google, Alphabet. Number five, Nordstrom. Number six, Toll Brothers. Number seven, Netflix. Number eight, Facebook. I'm looking at on the, on the list here. Like, what? <laughs> and I told I told everyone, we're going to market that until the end of time. Oh, sure. Because this... You know, this could I mean uh, those are other right, those are iconic international brands that everybody knows. And all of a sudden Toll Brothers drops it as number six in the middle of that list. Obviously, we're th that that was a very, very proud moment for the company. Um it 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 rewarded us for the hard work that we put in and I talked about the brand. It helped to hire, of course. Uh, it makes everybody really proud. It's just a you know, when hard work pays off like that and you get recognized on a, on a list with those companies, um, it just makes you really proud. So yes, that, that did happen about five years ago. When, when I was taking notes on this, Doug, I, 
I purposefully in my note left Nordstrom in there. Only in that, as you look at all those companies, there's always that Jeff Bezos comment that says that Amazon one day will go out of business. And we all sit there and say, Amazon will never go out of business. It's, you know, the the it was for a long period of time, the most valuable company on the face of the planet. Um, and then you think about someone like Nordstrom, this iconic brand right in the midst of that. And Nordstrom today is a, is a, is a fraction of what it used to be in the brands holding on to literally survive. Uh, and I just, as I read that as a CEO, I sit there and say, you know, you might be really good at what you're doing today, but never forget that unless you're innovating and growing and, and moving to the future, you could end up like Nordstrom. Right. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Um, talk for you talked about using that for hiring. Um, I, I had a quote from you and uh, I, I actually was listening to a podcast that you did and it, you said, but I want somebody who's smarter than me. I want competitive people. I want people that hate to lose and I want nice and fun people. We have fun together. We laugh together. We have a lot of fun and it's people that are real. Talk for a moment about, you know, what it takes to get hired by Toll Brothers. And it seems like you all do an immense amount of investment upfront to make sure that you're hiring the right people. Yeah, people stay here and our senior team, you know, for me at 34 years, I mean, our our, our president is at 38 years. I can, I can go, you know, I can go down the list. We, um, it's, and, and it's always hard, right, to put your finger on what makes a culture special, um, but it's working here. We do put a lot of effort in the front end, no question about it. Um, you know, I was here a long time. I was here 20 years, 20 years before I became CEO with all sorts of jobs in the company, and I know where the bullies were. Every company has a bully. We had 5,000 employees. First thing I did is I got rid of all the bullies. I just sniffed them out or I knew them and we cleaned it out. Um, we're competitive. I'm competitive. I don't like to lose at ping pong. Um, you know, our company is built that way. We're really smart. You've heard it before. Somebody said to me that, you know, a, a B quality employee wants to hire a B minus to work for them and an A quality employee wants to hire an A plus. And I hope we have a lot more A's and B's that are looking to hire people that are better than them Bob made that kind comment about me succeeding him that he thought I would do better. And I absolutely believe the people we have targeted to take over my job and the other C-suite jobs will do a better job than we do. Um, we work hard. We fight every day. It goes back to, you know, we're, we're not dressed for battle anymore, but we come in with that attitude. But we go home. We can put work behind us. We can enjoy our families. We can have fun. It's a healthy culture. It's a healthy culture that believes in the brand, that wants to work hard. They feel respected. There's opportunities here to, to take on more responsibility. We build in 24 states. You can move. We encourage you to move. We have salespeople that become construction people. We have construction people that become salespeople. And um, people stick around. They just seem to like it. And they really like, I said it before, what we build. They, you know, our office, we have this cool new headquarters we built that is worthy of a Fortune 500 brand. And, you know, it's just loaded up with not only cool technology, but great photography of all these houses that we build around the country. Our Philadelphia design studio, we moved into the corner of our headquarters. So I can walk over and say hi to customers when they're making selections. We had bankers in here this morning and we took them over there to give them a tour. All of our employees take tours. We have buses every week, that not every week, every couple of weeks that go out to our local communities. 
So everybody, if you're an accountant in here, we want you to go see the community. I mean, if you're on the assembly line building a BMW, you deserve to go drive it. You deserve to go to a sales office and see how they sell it. And that's what we do. We, we get people out so they can see firsthand what we're all about. And I think that helps. I think having people not only feel like they're well-paid and they're treated well and they like who they work with, but also believing in the company's mission and, and loving kind of the product and being proud to tell people I work for Toll. And talking about this weekend, my husband and I went and visited a community and we were blown away. I think that all just resonates. And I think that's really helped us. Your comment about um, competitiveness and you not liking to lose at ping pong is, uh, it reminds I I just taped a, a Walker webcast with Jeff Wright, who's the actor, who's the lead in American fiction, who's up for an Academy Award. And um, Jeff was a college uh, lacrosse player. And uh, in talking to him, he said, you know, my, my career as a goalie changed the day that I realized that I hated losing more than I hated the sting of the ball hitting me. And it was like such a, it was such an interesting kind of moment where all of a sudden he was like, you know, I just, he just, then he threw his body in front of the ball all the time. I'm thinking about you and your competitive nature when things weren't going the, as well as they are today. In other words, like back in 2010 and 2011, when you wanted so much to get back on, on the winning track and, and drive things forward, but you had a macro environment that quite honestly just wasn't in place to do so. How did you if you will, temper that competitive drive to get into the numbers that you both wanted to and knew the toll could get to, but you had a macro environment that didn't allow you to get to them. Yeah, I think you just have to stay really disciplined. You know, in the underwriting you do for new land, uh, um, you have to be patient. You have to accept that it's going to take some time, but when it comes, you need to be ready. So it was preparation. Do we go into a new market at a, at, a, at a softer time to be ready and have paid the dumb tax for a year or two that you always pay when you enter a new market? I'd rather pay a dumb tax in a soft time than pay a dumb tax when things are rocking and rolling. Um, we looked in China. We looked in Brazil. We thought of, we went to Europe. We thought about whether it was you know the time to expand the company outside of the U.S. when the U.S. housing market was so soft. And I'm glad, by the way, we didn't do any of that because... We wouldn't, that wouldn't have worked out for us. And the U.S. housing market came back nicely. But um, it was mainly just keeping the morale up as we were going through cuts, which is always tough because we were shedding overhead pretty rapidly and keeping um, a positive, you know, I had to be a cheerleader through those times. That was, that was part of the job that I think was most important, but staying really disciplined. We were sitting on a lot of cash but we're not going to go spend it until we really had better signs that, you know, the time was right to jump back in. So yeah, it's for, I mean, the, the home building is very cyclical and you know, you're roaring and then it all, I hope, hopefully we don't have what we had back then again, but it, um, it's hard when you go from, you know, selling 10,000 houses to selling 6,000 houses a year or a year and a half later and keeping it and, and keeping things together. But I think that that's what I, I just kept very disciplined and, and positive. The company was always financially sound. We had a very strong balance sheet, lots of cash, very low debt. So we weren't, you know, scrambling. There were some builders that were in a bit more survival mode. Mm -hmm. We were in a bit more of, of opportunity mode. 
uh, because we had the dry powder to take advantage of those opportunities. So that at least made it fun. Even though we weren't selling more houses, we were setting the company up for future opportunities. And looking ahead, Doug, when you think about modular, um, I, I'm I'm still to this day sort of shocked and surprised that Katera met its end the way that Katera and met its end. There was a lot of hype about Katera and SoftBank's investment in them and the opportunity to do modular housing on a large scale across the country. Um, we we both know and many listeners know how that all ended, but the, the, there appear to be sort of pockets of modular that are trying to do various new technologies. Clearly, at the price point that you're building to, you're very well insulated. But just for a moment, as you think about where the industry goes and you all either getting significant component parts modularly built or building homes for Toll Brothers using modular um, or prefab construction, when are we going to, when do we have that? Yeah, it's been frustrating. We build houses today just about the same as we did 30 years ago. You know, there's 30 different contractors that hit a job site from the plumbers and on um, that build these houses. Um, it's all, it's almost all filled, field built. We do have panel and trust factories. Uh, we're one of the few builders that have our own panel and trust factories, but they're not closed walls. They're not, you know, they're just panels and trusses. Um, we keep a close eye on it. We have investments in some of these tech companies. Nothing yet has made sense to us. And, you know, we, we've had opportunity. We've done some of it. We've tested some of it. But it's been more expensive. In some cases, it's actually taken longer. Transportation is a big problem. It's hard to move wall panels, trusses, components of houses from a factory to a job site. It's just tricky. And... You know, I I compliment Lenar. I know Stuart was on on your podcast a few months ago. They have been the most active in investing in and experimenting with innovation that is coming to our industry, and I um, I think it's great. Um, we keep a close eye on all of it. I think it's a ways off because it doesn't make sense yet economically. We can still frame houses in the field cheaper than anything that's yet been presented that's going to come prefabbed or um, out of a factory. Uh, it's fascinating. I, I think about Elon Musk in 2015 saying that we'd have autonomous vehicles in the United States by 2020. Um, and the, the last the last surviving autonomous vehicle pilot study out in San Francisco looks like it's potentially given the car that was set on fire a couple of weeks ago, it might actually be, you know, crashing and burning. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable how I thought Katera was going to transform the industry and, and it, and, and it clearly hasn't. Um, I talked at the top, Doug, about the great success you've had in running Toll Brothers and then the great appreciation you've seen in your stock. Um, and yet it's it's still trading at eight to nine times earnings. And I've heard you say it's sort of time for a re-rating of the industry. And I, I look at the dynamic growth that you've had and also the other home builders. Uh, and you look at an 8.8 times multiple, I think is what I saw this morning on yours. And that was just on my Apple phone. So that might not be exactly what it is off of Bloomberg. But I sat there and looked at the growth and I said to myself, boy, it is time for a re-rating of this industry. And it's quite something that there's this 
hangover effect that came out of the GFC that is sort of sat in all the financials, even as you've watched Toll Brothers become a almost $12 billion market cap company um, over the period of time that you've been at the helm. Um, what's it take to re-rate it? Because you talk extensively about a lighter balance sheet. You talk extensively about not holding a lot of land on your balance sheet and making sure that you're just getting options contracts. You talk about SG&A expenses coming down, your gross margins are up at 29%. Um, what, what's it take other than literally like talking about it and getting people to sort of say, this is a different industry than when people invested in 2006 heading into 2008? Yeah, it's Willie, as you heard me say, I'm, I'm frustrated. I did jump on my soapbox on our last earning call in December and talk about it. I left it alone today. I've talked about it with Jim Cramer on his show. Some of the other CEOs are also speaking to it. There's an NYU Stern report that comes out a couple times a year that ranks the PE and the multiple of book of all industries in the US. I think there's 100 industries. Home building's like 98. And it seems like we're still paying the price for those massive impairments that occurred in 2007 to 2009. We're a very cyclical industry. You know, the old trade that you were taught out of business school was when the 10-year goes up, sell the builders. When the 10-year comes down, buy the builders. The last couple of years, we proved that not to be the case. Um, the industry's only major impairments that have occurred since World War II, well, since we were all public, was 07 to 09. You know, we all take modest impairments here or there for land deals that don't work. I was told a few years ago, well, you're not going to get a re-rating until you get through another downturn and prove that you can manage your companies without writing off a bunch of your book and still do well. You know, that looks like 2022 to me. And, you know, 2017, we had a little bit of a downturn. You can go through nothing like 2007, but there have been enough, uh, there have been enough blips here and there that I think there's enough um, data now to show that we deserve it. Our, you know, the L, net debt to caps now in the 20s for almost all companies or less. The big guys are zero. Um, we're all land light or getting land lighter where we're not, we're not buying a lot of land. We're optioning land. Um, we, we built, we had record years in seven and 8% interest rate environment. And these companies are now being professionally run. There's, there aren't that many founders left. It's a very different business model. It is safer. Um, the public's by the way, had 33% market share. The public's have 50% market share. So we, you know, we, because we're buying land, we have the access to capital that the smaller builders don't have because they're dependent upon regional banks that are in trouble. And so, um, there are a lot of compelling arguments. There's also a tension. We have big investors. I'm getting off this and jumping on with one of our big investors who is a big advocate of re-rating. There are analysts that are talking about the time is here to re-rate. Um, boy, oh boy, you know, 15, I mean, the, the S&P, without the Magnificent 7, is at 18 PE. Right. And the, builders, the builders are at 8. Right. You know, it, I mean- You go back to your playbook from 2016 and buy back what you bought, back 7% of the stock in 2016. So investors- We clearly... bought back over 40% of our stock in the last six or seven years. We just increased our guide. Um, we're now going to, we, we've got it to buy $500 million worth of stock back this year. We're a cash machine um, because we're buying land 
more efficiently where we don't have to write the big check, but we can option the land to become a bigger cash machine and we're going to return it to the shareholders. Yeah. Um, final thing, um, as you look ahead 10 years, what's different about the housing market and what's different about Toll Brothers a decade from now? Wow. Well, I'll look, I'll, I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah. Uh, toll, I think in 10 years, there's a possibility we could be international. I don't know. We're doing nothing now, but in the past, we've always, you know, snooped around a little bit. I think, I think our brand is worthy of going international. Um, so I think that's a possibility. I do think you'll have technology into the industry. I do hope, and I do think we will be building houses differently, more efficiently. Um, I think you will see us going from the Mini Cooper all the way through that seven series, and we'll probably have a Rivian here and there. Um, and we'll just continue to widen um, the price point and the product offerings. Um, you know, we, we're in apartments now. We like the apartment business. It's a side business for us, but we have about $700 million invested in it under the Toll Brothers Apartment Living brand. I, I think that grows. We have a student housing arm, Toll Brothers um, Campus Living. That's part of the apartment group. I hope that grows. So I just think anything you think of in real estate or, or in housing, you'll be able to find toll at all different price points. Um, that's my hope in terms of, you know, Cole, I hope we still have a great culture. I think we will. You know, the, the people that are going to succeed, me and others in leadership are in this company already. They've been identified. They've been here for decades. They're younger. They're smarter. They get it. Um, and so I'm, I'm very optimistic. I think housing, you know, we have 6 million too few houses right now because of what hasn't been built in the last 15 years and we're not catching up and there's huge limitations on the ability to catch up because you can't find land. Right. So it's not like we can turn a switch here and all of a sudden build 3 million houses a year because the land is not out there and that's not going to change. It's very hard to get land entitled. So, um, I think I think we could be heading into a longer term strong housing market because of these fundamentals. And the demographics are there. You know, the 75 million millennials, there's 80 or 85 million kids behind them that are coming. So I feel great. I'm very optimistic. It's terrific. Well, I'm sure that you and your colleagues in your headquarters also hope in the next 10 years, the Philadelphia Eagles win a Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, uh, um, not to not not to throw any salt in the wound there. But anyway, um, Doug, I'm super appreciative of your time. Congrats on a great quarter and a great career at Toll Brothers and all your leadership as CEO. Um, it's been super engaging to hear how you've done it and uh, appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Willie. It's a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Take care.